Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar. We are back for season two. This is our second episode, and we are excited to get going. Valerie, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited to be doing these one-chapter episodes. They feel very powerful and condensed. Like, we have to get into them quickly and get into the important stuff we want to talk about and then let people get on with the rest of their day and hope it's magical from the little 15 or 20 minutes they spend with us. I love it. Yeah, yeah, same. I feel like I'm the same where sometimes I just want a quick, you know, quick 15, 20 minutes event with some of my favorite people, you know, assuming I'm also assuming we're some of your favorite people if you're listening. So um, I imagine you feel the same. So we get to say hi to you every single day. Yeah, I either want a three hour podcast or a 15 minutes. There's nothing in between that satisfies me. (laughs) (laughs) So we're trying the 15 minute one. Let us know what you think. Grab your muggle wand, aka smartphone and uh, leave us a review after this episode if you like to actually if you are brand new to the podcast, you need to go back because because in this show, we are reading the Harry Potter series backward. And if you don't start at the beginning of a season, it's just not going to make sense. So please go back to episode one. Luckily, you're on episode two. It's really easy to just go back and start at the beginning. And I think you'll enjoy it a lot more that way. Uh, but yeah. How are you doing, Brie? Hmm, uh, I am good. Thank you. Good, good. It's warm outside and I love it. Yeah. How's little Ollie doing? Our uh, Harry Potter inspired named kitty that joined the fray last season. He's very good. Um, he is growing. He's very big. He's about six months now. Him and my dachshund, Remy, they get along fabulously. They like wrestle. He gets to his long little kitty arms around him. Um, so he's a black cat and Remy is a red dachshund. So it's just like you can easily see like what they're doing and fighting. It's so fun. I'll have to have to post a reel or something. Yeah, Remy doesn't have a Harry Potter inspired name, but we still love him anyway. So today we are covering chapter 29, which is The Phoenix Lament. Bree, do you want to give us our summary? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So we are immediately dropped into the scene right after Dumbledore has been killed. Harry is grief stricken right beside his body on the ground. Ginny leads him away from the body to the hospital where his friends and some of the order is surrounding Bill, who has been attacked by Greyback. Harry is the one to tell them all that Dumbledore has been killed, and they begin to explain what happened before and after his death. This includes Malfoy escaping the Room of Requirements to Professor McGonagall sending Snape to the Astronomy Tower, which led to Dumbledore's death. The chapter ends with Harry in his dormitory grappling with all that has happened. Great. Thank you for that summary. And the final sentence in this chapter is, And he knew, without knowing how he knew it, that the phoenix had gone had left Hogwarts for good, just as Dumbledore had left the school, had left the world, Mm. had left Harry. Poor Harry. Actually, if you think of this as the last chapter of the book and chapter 30 that we covered last episode as the epilogue, Mm -hmm. that's also a really powerful ending because Mm -hmm. it ends with, like, the focus is on Harry and how Dumbledore has left. And I really feel like that last chapter did feel kind of like an epilogue. Yeah, I agree. It did feel that way. Where this one, we're right in the heat of the battle, you know, where literally it starts, Harry is at Dumbledore's side on the ground, um, just, you know, not wanting to leave him and not really grasping what has happened. 
um, where the other one is a little bit slower, a little bit more uh, reflective, maybe. Yeah, maybe I'm a weirdo, but I feel like because a few days have gone by, well, it's really not a few days, it's like the next day, some time has passed, that makes it an epilogue, because it's the, I don't know, because it's at the end. That's just me. It works for me, too. <laughs> That's probably not the definition of an epilogue. <laughs> Yeah, so obviously the most sad part of this chapter, I would say, is um, Fox, right? So I didn't explain it in my intro, but um, throughout the book, you can hear Fox, the phoenix, just he's singing a very terrible and beautiful, sad song as tribute to Dumbledore and his, you know, assuming best friend. It's his one of his best friends and he has died. And I did read, I did look it up. Um, he was never to be seen again. So we don't know exactly what happened to Fox, but he's immortal, so we can assume he... I'm super curious where these phoenixes go when they're they're the owner, the human that they bonded with the most closely dies. Like, do they? Is there some little phoenix refuge somewhere where they all know to go to mourn together? And you know, I just it's a very it's a whole other story. I want that Fantastic Beast movie. That could be that one. (laughs) So what I read online was that there's only referenced from what I quickly read I'm happy to be corrected and please do um you know bell jar prod on Instagram if you want to correct me but there's only I believe two phoenixes in the like that have been referenced they're very very rare um and Fox was also the right that gave the feather to Harry and um Voldemort in their wand Mm -hmm. so that's why because there's just not that many so. Did the re- did the resource that you were reading re- include anything with Fantastic Beasts? Because there is a phoenix in that story. Um, I was on Harry Potter Wiki, so I possibly. Oh, it should then. Okay, yeah, interesting. Because I we didn't get into it, but Fantastic Beasts. Have you have you seen it? We haven't really talked about. It. No, I haven't. Okay. I will obviously. Okay, I did a bad job and. Te- <laughs> I teased everyone on Instagram and then didn't share my thoughts because to be honest, I was totally underwhelmed, which I have a feeling many people were. It was a very, it was not up to the standard of storytelling and cohesion that I normally expect from a JK Rowling project. That's how I'll say it nicely. Anyway, the whole Phoenix bit and the whole Dumbledore story, family story is, it's resolved, but it's not resolved in the way you would expect in that movie. And uh, they don't really address the fact that there's another phoenix. So maybe uh, maybe they'll come back to it in another movie if they make any more. I mean, I don't. I think it did quite poorly. I'm not sure that Warner Brothers is going to keep throwing money down that well at this point when they want to make a cursed child movie, according to all of the rumors. So we'll just have to see. Anyway, it is important to note in this chapter that there is the phoenix song running all the way through because it does, for one of the rare times, create a oral experience for the characters that's not common they don't listen to music or music is a magic beyond all they do at hogwarts so the fact that there is music at this particular point in the story is important and it also sets the tone for all of their discussion mm-hmm. yeah yeah very well said um i didn't actually have a ton of notes in this chapter but i did want to come back to something i mentioned last episode which it, you know it kind of tipped my hand and i got to be better about this but since we're doing them episode by episode, we're not going to have necessarily the same crossover in certain episodes. Like I can't reference something we're going to cover tomorrow in our next episode, but I can cover something we already covered. It's like a weird time travel paradox we're having. Anyway, uh, I mentioned that in this particular chapter, Lupin struggles when he hears of Dumbledore's death and he kind of comes a little unhinged and how that sort of made sense for me, all of his behavior in the next few months of his life, which is he marries Tonks, but he doesn't really want to. And then she gets pregnant and then he kind of runs away and then he goes back and it's like, he's not really settled. And it's partially because he's the last marauder of any good standing character. And he 
really relied on Dumbledore in a way that no one else did, in part because Dumbledore gave him a chance. It was the only person who'd ever given him a, a real job and a real chance, and he he kind of doesn't handle it well, and that, you know, nobody handles it particularly well, but Lupin, especially someone that Harry looks up to, kind of crumbles under that grief. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting point, only because I think that's what's special about Dumbledore and why people are so loyal to him is because he trusts people that other people in society may not trust. You know, he trusted Hagrid. He loves the centaurs, the Mer people. It, it shows he didn't have the biases that a lot of people have, um, which is why people were so loyal to him. He trusted Snape. Right. He trusted a Death Eater, a known Death Eater. He employed yeah. a known Death Eater and bore what was undoubtedly a lot of judgment in the magical world. Everyone knew Snape was a Death Eater. He was like BFFs with Lucius Malfoy and these other guys who are immediately go back to the Dark Lord. He keeps Snape in his employ. And yet, you know, he, he does. He trusts so many characters. And we, of course, so much of that is revealed to us. But it's still, yeah, that's a really good observation that Dumbledore does trust those who might not otherwise seem trustworthy. Yeah. Um, speaking of biases, though, and something I kind of want to watch for, and I think that is what's interesting about Harry Potter and why a lot of people are drawn to it is... We get to break some of those um, perceptions of people. And I think one of those is, it was in the last chapter as well, but um, Floor and Mrs. Weasley and, you know, Jenny in the last chapter, um, which I forgot to mention, which I also loved. She kissed Harry goodnight. Sorry, little sidebar, um, which you don't get in the movies and the books. You know, they are like casually kissing each other goodnight and stuff. But she even mentions that she still isn't sure if she likes Floor, but if her mom likes her, then that's good enough for her. And the only reason that would be is because they think that because Floor is so beautiful that she must be so vain and she must not be, you know, of good stock or however, you know, she's not good enough to be a Weasley. She can't love Bill the way someone else would because she's too vain. And um, Floor literally is like, I'm good at looking for the both of us. I don't need him to be good looking. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of my favorite lines. I don't think I... Oh, you know, I did. I did mark it. Yep. I am I am good-looking enough for both of us, I think. <laughs> and all this shows is that my husband is brave. And I love that. I love that. that Fleur, I guess it reflects what I think you're trying to say, which is that many of these characters, you cannot judge a book by their cover. Hagrid is big and hulking and scary-looking, yet turns out to be so kindly. And... Fleur is so beautiful, she must be vain. And there's a bunch of characters. I mean, I think we can we can find them as we go back through the chapters where we're supposed to make an assumption about the character and then it turns out, of course, to be completely wrong, which is humans, you know? Yeah, I mean, Hermione herself, she should be only brainy, not brawny, you know? Yeah, yeah, and she's, uh, oh, she's badass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely love that. That uh, That is something that the books do, sort of subconsciously, sort of not something, it's not like hitting you over the head with it. It just repeatedly characters turn out to be something other than what they are. and then, But simultaneously, there are characters who turn out to be exactly what they are. You know, they are described a certain way and they turn out that way. And so it's a good challenge for the reader, especially as a young person, to realize that the description of a person is not an accurate measure of their character, their behavior is. And even then, when you have Snape all the whole series acting a certain way, he's acting a certain way, but it's not for the reason you think it is. So you still even, you can't judge him even at the whole scope of his life, even when you know it all, only then can you understand what he was doing and why. Oh yeah, that is such a good point. Um, especially with Snape, all the things that he did, people thought he was doing to hurt them. For instance, 
he created uh, the barrier to keep them from going to the astronomy tower. And they thought, oh, he only let people with the dark mark go through. But really he was doing that to protect them. So they wouldn't come up upon it and then get killed by more people. Yeah, Snape is a fascinating character to start at the end of because we get to see his motive and then we get to kind of see, and you had a reel about this that was rather controversial. <laughs> you get to see how his motive, if you know that he's not a bad guy, you can see how everything he does is actually not a bad guy. Now, a lot of the commentary we had in that conversation on social media was about how Snape abuses children. And, you know, he, he certainly has his own emotional baggage that he carries with regard to Neville and to Harry. But it's kind of interesting how many of these major points in his character arc are more ambiguous than they seem up front. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing I don't think gets enough love and is in this chapter, but very briefly, is the vanishing cabinets and the magic of those two cabinets. Like, that is one of the coolest pieces of the Harry Potter arc, like evidence of J.K. Rowling having a really strong sense of where she was going books ago because she has Montague get pushed into a vanishing cabinet. There's the vanishing cabinet that Peeves drops on top of Filch's office in book two. That's how it gets broken. Then the Weasley twins push Montague into it and he gets stuck halfway between the two. And that's he ends up hearing what's going on in Borgen and Burks, which is how Draco discovers that they're connected. And then he fixes the one that's in Hogwarts, which, by the way, indicates that Filch at least knows how to put things in the room of requirement because that's how the vanishing cabinet ends up there. Anyway, the vanishing cabinets are one of those things I just love because it's a really cool piece of magic that's not really deeply explored at this point. We're going to learn more about it as we go back in time, but it's one of my favorite pieces of magic that is so pivotal to how the story works out. Ooh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's interesting. I want to watch for that now. So now we think Filch did know where the room of requirement was. Filch must have known where the room of, uh... Storage? <laughs> Maybe he needed a storage room and it just like popped up. Yeah, we know that's the case because at one point, I believe one character says that Filch, when Filch needs the room, it has all of his extra cleaning supplies in it. But I think Filch must also be able to activate the room of unwanted goods, unwanted objects or whatever they call it. I think they don't call it that in the book. I think they call it that in the movie because he's able to put broken stuff there. He's able to put confiscated stuff in there. But he probably doesn't know the magic, of course, because he's a squib. So he doesn't, or almost a squib. He doesn't have a full understanding of what he's doing when he activates the room. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, what about the Felix potion? Um, so Jenny says that they took the Felix potion and that is what she felt like kind of saved them from a lot of the hit. And do we think it was the Felix potion or I feel like Snape was there for a bit of that. So was he there kind of protecting them or maybe both? I think it was probably Felix having in, I mean, we haven't gotten there, but obviously when we'll get to Felix, Felix just makes things work. So it's just like, oh, I just happened to be turned this direction, you know, as the spell goes by. I thought, though we obviously haven't got there, it's obviously, I thought it was wise that Harry gave them Felix, that he remembered that he had this weapon. Basically, and like using Felix as a, well, not a weapon, but a protective, like a shield to protect his friends. He did not really knowing how it's going to work. I mean, when he took it, he went on a wild goose chase, ended up drinking with Hagrid and Slughorn, you know, like it's not like Felix works the way you expect it to, but he still thinks it's worth giving them to keep them safe. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to get to that chapter. Like what a, what a life to get drunk with <laughs> Hagrid and Slughorn, but not the point, but still. <laughs> yeah. Singing uh, o Odo, the, Odo the hero. Is it Odo the hero? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
We'll get there. We'll get there. There's some chapters I really like. There's some chapters I really like. That's one of them. And then there's some chapters that were adapted that I really like. And that's one of them. Where the adaptation in the films is almost better than the books. There's not very many points. I'll say that. But that is one of them. That's because you did such a good job um, acting, though, during that. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Did you have anything else in this chapter that you want to cover? No. Yeah, I think I think that was it. What about you? No, that's it. That's it for me. This one was, um, I didn't have a ton of notes, but they were obviously things that we can talk about at length because they are, this is sort of a bridge chapter. You know, it's taking us from the flight of the prince, which we're going to cover in our next episode, then to the epilogue if you're reading in chronological order. So there is a lot of like information dumping, basically, like getting everyone on the same page about what actually happened. But there are some important points that get made and some little gems that are seeds that we're going to follow backwards as we work our way through the book. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I I will say, and I'll be curious to see if we kind of watch this as we go, whenever everyone is talking about what happened, it is interesting. In this chapter, we get a sense that kind of everyone felt like they were to blame for Dumbledore's death. And it'll be kind of interesting to see their relationships with Dumbledore. And I don't know, just kind of that trail. I just found that interesting how every single person had a hand in letting Snape up to the astronomy tower. And Dumbledore being there. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that was it. That's a good one. All right. Well, with that, we will wrap it up. Thanks for joining us for this short one-chapter episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, we would love to have your five-star rating and review on the podcast player of your choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or something else. You can also send us feedback on social media. Yeah. Send us a message. Do a reel about our podcast if you want, you know, however strongly you feel one way or the other. Bell Jar Pod on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. I am always happy. We are always happy to hear from you. I see all of the notifications. I ignore most of them. I let Brie do that. (laughs) That is just fine. (laughs) And then you can always send us an email if you'd prefer to send us private feedback or you have some correction you want to get to us in some way. We do try our best to make sure that we're accurate when we talk about the books, though occasionally we don't get it 100%. We love getting that feedback. You can email podcast at followthebutterflies.com. And if you want to explore the rest of Follow the Butterflies, followthebutterflies.com is my Harry Potter blog. There is tons more there. We've got recipes, costume guides, travel guides now that travel is happening again. Anything you want Harry Potter, I try and put it there. And you can always request content if I somehow didn't publish something that you really want. So with that, we will wrap it up. Thanks again for joining us. We will be back very soon with a new episode. If you're listening in real time, you can check back tomorrow or you can go listen in the player right now. There's probably another episode waiting for you. And we'll see you next time. Yeah, see ya. Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.